Welcome to the Art of Making Things Happen, the podcast, a place where inspiration meets practicality and personal growth meets entrepreneurship. My name is Jennifer Jane Young, your host and the founder of Enjoy Living, a company that supports achievers, dreamers, and creatives to make things happen. I'm your virtual business manager and strategic advisor. Like an elegantly knitted pattern, I'm a key thread woven into the ecosystem of your business. Merging my strong creative right brain with my highly practical left brain, I help you clarify your next steps and bring your projects and ideas to life. Head over to enjoyliving.ca for inspiration and practical support to keep taking your next steps forward. That's enjoyliving.ca. Enjoy with an I. Enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. It's Jen, your host, back with the 100th episode of The Art of Making Things Happen, the podcast. I started this podcast on a total whim, waking up one morning with a huge insight and a voice telling me that I needed to start a podcast. I figured out the technical steps, whipped it together, and just started recording my thoughts. It's the thing that I love doing the most and the thing that I get the most positive feedback on. So to celebrate the 100th episode, I'm excited to tell you that I've interviewed Beth Kempton, who is the author of Wabi Sabi, Japanese Wisdom for a Perfectly Imperfect Life, and Calm Christmas and Happy New Year, my two recent favorite books. Beth is from England. She's a mama, a writer, a speaker, entrepreneur, and Japanologist. And let me tell you that learning from her or being inspired by her in any way lights a fire inside to truly enjoy living at a deeper level. The story of how she found her passion is so hilariously random and at the same time so exciting and inspiring. She literally has the most deeply inspiring Instagram feed I've ever followed. The love for her work and her kind, generous heart is infused in the value of what she puts out into the world. And if you're craving a calm and peaceful Christmas this year, I strongly recommend ordering her new book, Calm Christmas and Happy New Year, uh, so you can snuggle up with a blanket over the next month or so. It's really, really a magical book. The episode should leave you inspired to live more simply, joyfully, and with passion. Enjoy. Here's Beth. So hi, Beth. Thank you so much for joining me on the Art of Making Things Happen, the podcast. I'm really excited to have you here um, because I've been diving into your two recent books in the last um, six months, and there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So welcome. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. And thank you for reading. You spend a long time writing these books, and it's always so wonderful to hear someone talking about it to you directly so you understand what someone takes away because you have ideas about what they will um, but you never quite know yeah yeah I think to be honest I think authors don't don't like you said don't get a chance to realize the the deep impact that their books have on people and the magical timing that they arrive in their life and your two books that um, I, well, one of them I'm still in, but I just finished throughout the summer, Wabi Sabi, which is one of the books I want to talk to you about a little bit today. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about the the role that these two books had in my life because they were really, really important at, at the time. Um, both of your books, especially Wabi Sabi, was literally a life jacket for me because I started reading it when I was going through um, a nervous breakdown this summer and going through that period I it was really hard for me to connect with joy um, and to connect with myself internally because inside it was very uncomfortable and so I want you to know that Wabi Sabi was literally a life jacket for me and it 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 
it um, redirected me to my joy inside and it reminded me of the life that I really wanted to live. So thank you for that. Goodness me. I'm so sorry to hear you've had such a hard time, but I'm so glad. I think one of the beautiful things about the Japanese culture and some of the things it teaches us is is that the the rough and the smooth is all part of life. Um, I'm so glad it landed in your life when it did. Yes, thank you. And and exactly. I mean, it was all about honoring the imperfections and the messiness and and rem remembering that you know, through that messiness, there's always beauty and light. And so it was so great. And, and your second book, <laughs> so The Calm Christmas and A Happy New Year, which I have both in my hand right now because I love just holding them. Um, Calm Christmas. So now I'm out of this, you know, difficult stage that I went through in the summer and um, just made a huge life change, like I was telling you before we started the recording. And The Calm Christmas is in my hands right now in a moment where. I'm looking for soothing, calm, peaceful, joyful experiences. Not even looking, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing those moments right now. So this book is actually helping me to dive deeper into a really uh, joyful and peaceful experience of life. So they have both come in at the perfect time, and I'm so grateful that you wrote them. So thank you. You do know that I wrote them for you, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I believe you because I swear I hold these books in my sometimes I'm tired at night and I want to read and but I can feel like, you know, my eyes closing and sometimes I'll just sit with my tea and I'll just hold the book without even reading it. <laughs> I'm like, Oh my god, I love that so much. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so I mean, everything that you do it's they're all works of art. They're so everything is so beautiful, but um the intention that you put into your work also for me, like I can feel it. I can feel it in your books. I can feel it in everything that you thought through, whether it's the words that you're using or the visuals of the book. And so we can, I, I can really, I can really tell that this is um, the work that you do is something that comes from deep within you. Um, and I mean, I can't remember, I discovered you through your podcast I can't remember how I fell on your podcast, but I, I fell on your podcast and I had, I had listened to a couple of episodes and I fell in love with your whole philosophy so quickly. Um, and one of the things that stands out about you for me, because I'm a, I'm an online business manager, so I'm also, I'm a coach, but I'm also an online business manager. And so I see, I'm in people's social media a lot. I'm on, I'm in people's online business world a lot and their marketing and all of that stuff. And right now, I mean, I think your books are arriving at such a perfect time because I feel right now we're all kind of chasing this this sense of happiness or contentment or this success. Like it's it's it feels like social media. The only thing that we're seeing go by, or a lot of it, is, is all about like you know reaching this this huge success. And your books talk a lot more about joy and contentment, um, and I can feel that in your social media because your posts are very. Like when I read one of your posts, I get instantly grounded in something deeper than what I'm seeing right now, which is a lot of surface level information. Um, okay, can I can I say something? Because <laughs> that's still amazing, and I'm very British over here, blushing for all the things <laughs> that you're saying to me. And it's, there's something that a Potter said to me when I was putting when I was researching Wabi Sabi, and it was that yeah. um, 
when um, one of the things about Japanese beauty is that um, Japanese people in the creation of whatever they're making realize that the thing isn't finished until it is experienced by um, by somebody else, by you know somebody mm-hmm. using or looking at this beautiful cup that they made, for example, or looking at a painting and um, kind of finishing what the painting means in their own experience. And I think books are like that. And I mm. think a hundred people can read the same book and not just take something different from it, but have a completely different experience of reading it. And whether a book stays with you for a very long time or whether it just kind of rushes past, depends on lots of things, depends on you know your state of mind when you're reading it, depends on how carefully you read it, depends on whether you try and read it with the telly on and children pulling at your knee you know <laughs> um, or whether you just you know you're you're really intentional about your reading and it sounds like you are and I'm so so glad to hear all those things you've said because it takes a huge amount of um effort and mind space and heart space and time like actual time in your life to to put together um a, a book that you really want to help um people with but yeah. I think um I would say part of the not the responsibility is the wrong word but part of the impact is thanks to the way the reader reads it and it sounds Mm -hmm. like you know you you're really taking care to pay attention to the ideas which you know make sense that you're then paying attention to the small things in your life all around you um and I think that there are so many things today which which push us on at a faster pace than is healthy and than Mm. is necessary and reading is a great thing I think for I'm a very fast reader actually but I when I love a book I try and read it really slowly because I know it's going to end and I don't want it to Um, but just to get you know as much from it as possible and I think that whole although I didn't intend Wabi Sabi to be a book about slowing down a huge amount of people have talked about it as that kind of book and I think I was I was searching the manuscript for something the other day and I typed in slow and there's an awful lot of <laughs> uses of the word slow without me realising it. So, um, yeah. so, so I'm glad, but it's definitely not um, just down to me. And certainly the visuals are um, you know, not down to me and I work with lots of talented people to do that. But I think if you have a really, um, a really good idea in any area of kind of creative sphere, then it's, it's always a joy to communicate that to others so they can bring it to life in their media you know one of my a really great old friend of mine does a lot of my photography um mm-hmm. and she just gets it you know um and I think it's that's a really wonderful unexpected upside of my writing career which has come about in the last few years because I get to work with amazing creative people like that which is you know I, I certainly wasn't planning that but it's happened um and that's yeah as well because you think writing might be quite solitary but of course it is at times, but there's a lot of things around it these days that you have to do that are absolutely about teamwork. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that what you were saying about, you know, it wasn't planned, but this is what's happening. And I think, you know, because on the on the podcast and, and with my followers and listeners and clients, I you know, I'm always coming back to and I think I'm doing this because this has been my ultimate struggle my entire life of like coming back to the process uh, uh, and the experience that is our life and we're as I think this is a human thing where 
often very focused on the final destination as if there is one and, and you know what I've learned is that there there really just isn't a final destination it's just an ever evolving process and I think um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna just kind of sidetrack onto something here because I'm curious uh, I'm curious about your thought on this I my I my sense is that you probably dipped your toes in this or maybe you know a lot more than I think have you must have heard of ikigai I don't know of if I'm saying yes. yeah <laughs> okay so I've, I spoke about it on a, on a past podcast not that long ago because I just read one of the books. And my sense is that all of this beautiful stuff that's happening for you is really just coming from you tapping into your ikigai, like just flowing with what's lighting you up every single day. And I think that's the beauty of, I think that's the real success and that's the beauty of success is not, so much all of the strategic planning but just showing up to what you love and what lights you up every day so i don't know if that's been your experience in the in the sort of the evolution of your of your life and your work i can say definitely but i'm not sure i always realize that i've often no. tried to follow the next interesting thing and if you sat me down at like um, i'd have to say about 20 because i only started studying japanese when i was 17 18 no 18 um, yeah. But if you said, like, what are the things that you really love? Um, I'd have probably done a really random list, like Japan and Japanese, everything, um, <laughs> chocolate, Christmas, stationery, traveling. And then if you think about my books, so my first book, Freedom Seeker, was it's about free, personal freedom, but there's a big sense of, advent, of adventure. Not like I'm going to go and climb a mountain, but just approaching life as an adventure. So, there, yeah. so that's one of those things on the list. Second book is all about Japan. Um, third book is all about Christmas. Fourth book yeah. coming later is another one about Japan. I'm like, right, I need to write a book about stationery or that. <laughs> there's, you know, I love food and there's a food bit about food in every single book. And you're like, oh my God, you're actually, you're, people say, oh, you can't build a career out of that. Well, you can build a career out of anything you want to. I think yeah. sometimes about finding kind of your, your outlet, like where you, creatively fit best you know there's many ways you could involve chocolate in your career but you know you make it do you um are you a critic like a food critic are you a food writer are you a you know are you somebody who is a technical person on a food broadcast program you know you can come at anything from so many different angles and I feel like in the last few years since I started books writing books all those things have really come together and I've just really realized you can write a book about anything you want and if you yeah. write about a book about something that you're seriously passionate about and quite knowledgeable about, like you, you can't, you can't just pick a topic out of nowhere and mm -hmm. write a good book about it and expect it to work. You know, you have to have put the time in for sure. Um, yeah. But if you do that and you really tap into your own kind of creativity, then you, you can do anything, you know, and yeah. you can, and I think books and art is the same, you know, who's going to tell you what you have to paint a picture of or draw a thing of, you know? So yeah. I think we have a lot more freedom than anyone tells us and that we think. But when you get into something creative, you realize that it's totally up to you what you do. And, and of course, there's a job in selling it to other people, like to a publisher. Mm -hmm. so that they will pay you to do it and help you bring it to life. But the actual idea is completely down to you. Yes, and it's so beautiful because so many people think that it's more complicated than it actually is to uh, 
bring the things that you love into a project or a business or or a service or something and and I think that if you don't break your head about it too much and you just follow that yeah. um follow your ikigai as they would say mm-hmm. um then yes it can it can all come together and and you know you just made that list of all the things that you loved that you said you would have made when you were young and I can feel all those things in both of these books that I'm that I well <laughs> one that I read and one that I'm reading I can feel all of that so I think it's great. And let's talk a little bit about, and then I'm gonna, I want to read something from the book Wabi Sabi because it's related. So you were talking about, you know, the work that goes into something in depth. Um, and I think that this is something that a lot of people kind of want to skip over in life. You know, we just want to, and, and because right now I'm coming back to social media, but there's so much talk about, you know, quick success. And what I love about your work is the depth that I feel um, in it. Can you tell me a little bit about, um, like, where your passion for Japanology came from? Where your, how did you, how did that sort of experience and process of following your curiosity and this passion that you have evolve? It's very random. Are you sure you yeah, want it? <laughs> I really. If it's random, especially, I want to hear it. <laughs> okay, so um, when I was seventeen, um, I so that's kind of halfway through high school, and um, yeah. I was incredibly academic. I was studying way too many subjects than I should be at that age, and I had um, grown up in a family that really appreciated the value of education, and um, I, I had a really good memory, so I used to get really good grades, and so they really just encouraged me to um to stick on an academic track and um go and get a good stable job after university and all those things um and so I had in my mind I think from when I was about 10 I wanted to become an accountant because (laughs) in the you know quite small world I guess I grew up in um that was quite a you know it's a professional job and I saw people with their smart suits and their smart cars and all those things and thought oh yeah I could do that I like maths and whatever and I actually um, did a national diploma in bookkeeping. I think, oh. I not long ago, I think I was about 12. I was the young person oh. to do it. It was absolutely insane. But just so interesting learning about this small business that was the, I remember it being the case study for this exam. Anyway, so I was, and I wrote off for work experience and I was like 11 to go and work in an accountant. So they were like, no, we think you're a bit young. Come back in five years. Oh, you'll still be at school. <laughs> just, just crazy. But I think I get obsessed with something and then really, everything into it so so I had my whole life mapped out in front of me and it was so clear to me and I would um I was I studied really hard at school um and enjoyed it not in like a really just kind of swattish way but I was like this is cool like I'm learning stuff and I think I'm, I'm someone who loves to learn things um and then I um, and so I was. I applied to Cambridge to study economics, and then in the summer between my lowest um, kind of the two years of high school, summer in the middle, um, I got to go on this yacht race between um, England and Spain across the Bay of Biscay, which is a really dangerous piece of water here in Europe. Mm. I actually left a will in my bedroom. My <laughs> old brother was going to get my bike, and my younger brother was going to get my yellow sony walkman or something um i was i genuinely didn't know if i'd come back like of course it was fine but, um and so for me if you imagine like somebody who just like does all their homework and does what everyone tells them the idea of going on this trip where you might like have a shipwreck 
was quite exciting. Um, and so and we got there and we were in this absolutely massive storm, as everyone said would happen. It was terrifying. And then we came out the other end and we were fine. And it was the, um, the sea was like a mill pond and everyone was exhausted. So people were like asleep sunbathing at the front of the boat or down below deck. And I was on my own at the helm of this ship, like not ship, a yacht, um, quite a big yacht. Um, and it was just the most perfectly still day, except for these dolphins splashing next to us as we went along. And I just had this massive moment of clarity at the age of 17. Firstly, I don't want to be an accountant, <laughs> which doesn't sound like a huge realisation, but believe me, if that's all you've ever planned for, your entire teenage years, that is huge. And then the second one was, I have no idea what I want to do, and that's pretty cool. And the third one was, um, I want to feel in my life like I feel in this moment. Like, mm -hmm. like life is an adventure. The world is a beautiful place. It's much bigger than me. I'm part of it, um, but not separate from it. And, um, I, yeah, I want to feel like this in my life. And probably not going to get that necessarily in an accountant's office. Like, no disrespect <laughs> to accountants. I love my accountant. Uh, but just not my personality thing, which I didn't realise at the time because I'd be kind of shoving my personality down this one path. Um, mm -hmm. And so I came back from this trip and it was such a life-changing experience. Um, and I said to my parents, I can't do it. I can't go and be an accountant and follow this path that everyone else has told me is a good idea. It's not for me. And bless them. They went, okay, what do you want to do then? <laughs> and I didn't know. And I said, I want to go and live in another country um, because I think that's the best way for me to get outside of what I know. And I, I, I think suddenly this adventurous spirit just came to life and was like, yeah, someone's listening to us now. Um, <laughs> and so I decided I would study a language at university because back then you used to get a grant and, it, you know, people basically paid for you to go and live somewhere else for a year. Um, and so I looked up, I did this really fast because, you know, your application had to be in about four weeks later. Um, wow. And none of the universities I wanted to go to would let you study a language unless you'd done it at A level, which is the high school equivalent. And I hadn't. I'd been doing maths and further maths and physics and economics and all these things. Um, and so I was a bit stuck. And then I found out that if you do something obscure and insanely difficult, like Japanese, Chinese, Russian or Arabic, which nobody studied back then, um, mm. you, you could start from zero on day one of university. And so I did eeny, meeny, miny, moe. I landed on Japanese and wow. applied for Japanese and I'm guessing it was undersubscribed because they let me in. Um, and I turned up on my first day at university and all my friends were, you know, like doing essays and in these science labs and stuff. And I was literally sat in front of a teacher who spoke no English. We had one hour a week of English and everything else was in Japanese, even when we didn't know anything. Um, and she'd hold up pictures of like a little girl and a picture of a school and you'd be saying, I'm going to school. And I thought, this is crazy. This is a university education. It's so basic because we just literally knew nothing. Um, and then in our second year, we got um, sent to live in Japan and I nearly failed all my Japanese exams because um, I was so bad at it. I didn't know how to learn a language. Um, and I just begged my university to let me go. I was like, don't you understand? This is the whole point. <laughs> I could go into Japan. <laughs> Um, and so they let me go and I went and did homestay um, in Kyoto, the ancient capital of Japan, um, at 19 um, with a family who spoke no English whatsoever um, and lived wow. on the outside of Kyoto um, next to a lake surrounded by bamboo forest and paddy fields. And it was just this unbelievable sense of freedom. And I was really bad at Japanese, but I was so <laughs> excited by 
you know, every time I learned a new sentence, I had a different interaction with somebody. And it was, I think the, the feedback loop was so fast. And mm. the more you learn. Um, and, it, and I love Japanese, like Japanese can, um, characters. They're so beautiful. And I just fell in love with it completely. And the people and the food and everything. And the mystery. So, you know, there is so much mystery. Um, and then I came back and carried on and ended up doing masters and blah, blah, blah. So it wasn't that. I did karate at school or something like that. It was very much random, but actually look on reflection, it probably isn't random at all because I can't really imagine my life without Japan in it. So, Wow. It's, I have chills, honestly. <laughs> and so you're, and you're so right. Cause it, I mean, the story sounds random, but it's not random at all. And I, and I, I talk about this all the time, how we're so guided in life. Like the universe is, is leaving breadcrumbs all the time. And I think that, you know, that day on the boat, there was a breadcrumb, you know, that was placed in front of you and, and you took the opportunity to follow that feeling, that, that, that intuitive pull that there's something more out there for me. Um, and I love, I, I, I'm so happy you, you shared this because I know <laughs> like you share a little bit about it in, in Wabi Sabi, but um, not this whole, you know, the whole story of it. And I think it's, God, it's so beautiful. And I'm so happy you had that insight because my goodness, we would have lost like <laughs> beautiful artwork if you hadn't have gone to Japan. It's like, bless you. But maybe, who knows, I might have ended up there anyway by some other route. Maybe. You don't know, do you? You know, yeah. in Wabi Sabi, I talk about it mostly from the point of view of failure because I did that often. <laughs> well, we learned so much from our failure. And uh, yeah. I think actually, I think that's where the biggest lessons are in our failures or in, or in the messy moments or, you know, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't know oh, it's, it's such a negative word, but it doesn't need to be. No, lessons well, I think it's so much better. Isn't it? Lessons. Yeah. We need to find a new word for it because mm -hmm. there definitely isn't any, any failure. Um, and it's so, this is so perfect because actually the, there, there's like one little paragraph in Wabi Sabi that I wanted to read to the people on the podcast. Um, and it's exactly kind of in line with the story that you just told. Um, and it's the um, page 159 where you're talking about walking your own path. And you say, in much the same way, our careers, our, our careers are paths. When we look back on the road we have walked thus far, we see that it is not just winding. It often goes back on itself. There are gentle curves and hairpin bends. Effort matters and commitment is rewarded. The time it took to get where we are is not the point. The time... Well, the time it will take us to get to where we will go next is not the point. In fact, the results themselves are not the point. The way you get to your results matters more than the results that you get. Mm -hmm. um, this, and I, again, I have chills just reading this because I feel like if we remembered this <clears throat> every single day, we could, we could experience so much more contentment in our life. And I wanted to ask you quickly just your thoughts on contentment, because for me, everything I've read from you so far and, and everything I read from you on social media, it always relates back to contentment for me and just being happy and okay with where we are right now. It, has contentment been a struggle for you? No, no. I don't think so. Okay. No, I, I'm very much somebody who sees the good in the situation. Um, mm. which I think is very much connected with contentment um, yeah. you know things might be hard for one reason or the other but you know grateful for this and it's co definitely connected to gratitude as well I think yeah um, and I 
I think what we were talking about before about how we're kind of ushered onward, onward, always our attention drawn forward um, to better things, higher things, future things. Um, It's kind of pulling us out of a place of contentment, but that means that we confuse um, contentment with some kind of, it's not laziness, but just like a static state when dynamism is what the world demands of us. And I don't think that's what it is at all. I think it's, it's being, um, it's, it's be, I think it is about being grateful for the now whilst mm-hmm. also, of course, you know, making, you, you make plans for the future, even though you don't know what's going to happen. You, you know, you have hopes and dreams and those are all really positive things. Um, but they're not at the expense of what's going on now. And I think that's mm-hmm. the difference when, um, you kind of recognize contentment and I think a lot of there's a lot of science around happiness and things at the moment I I think happiness is a fleeting emotion that comes and goes um whereas contentment is more of a state um and it you know our, our happiness can be if you imagine feeling really happy and then someone says oh um by the way, that product you just sold me that you handmade yourself, it fell apart and it's a load of rubbish and I've just put a really bad <laughs> review of you online so everyone can see it. You know, that feeling of happiness is gone in a flash, right? Yeah. But the kind of underlying contentment that you're, you know, you, you're a maker who puts your heart and soul into work every day and you get to work from home and see your children and, and put beautiful things out in the world, that isn't shaken. Even yeah. though the the kind of emotional response and the ah it's all terrible you know whatever that goes up and down but yeah. it feels like a really it's it's like a safety thing I think mm-hmm. um, and that a lot of what we're sold in the media is almost like a level above this contentment and if you can it feels like a I don't know like a cozy jumper or something <laughs> it's yeah. really difficult to explain I think I'll be exploring it in future books because I think it's something that we we would do well to recognize more and then we need a lot less other stuff um, and I do think that you know what you're content with at 18 is not what you're content with at 60 or you know whatever and I think the older you get the easier it is to feel content because when you're y- really young there's so much to discover that you don't know whether you know this is this is what it is you know you're it's always kind of like yeah and 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 but then when you try a lot of things, you're like, you know, I don't need that and I don't need that and I don't need that. And that goes for stuff and certain people and certain ways of living. Then yeah. it, everything becomes a lot more simple, I think. Yeah, total simplicity. Yeah, and that's definitely what I got out of Wabi Sabi. And I think that what you remind us of every day in your work is slowing down. And, and that's where I think we can tap into the contentment. And, you know, now moving into... um calm Christmas because I feel like this is such a perfect um, segue into your the book that just came out that's goodness it is so beautiful Beth I'm holding it and it's like oh everything about it I'm, I feel I remember just well I didn't physically open the package my mom did and I was I had her on Skype with me and I'm like oh my god show me turn it like I want to see everything mm-hmm. um, and the book just holding it brought me back to my childhood and um, what Christmas was when I was a child. And Why, Why is that? Uh, I don't know. I can't put words on it. It's like the, oh, it's the, it, there's something magical about the book when, in, in, in the visual, like the, 
the simplicity of the image. I think the nature that you brought into the cover with the deer and the trees, for me, that's, you know, my Christmases were at my grandfather's in the middle of the woods, surrounded by, you know, pine trees and him, you know, coming out of the woods dressed up as Santa Claus, us thinking that he, yeah, us thinking that he had just landed in the woods with his reindeer. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was just so magical. And and when my grandfather died, um, like I was, as I was reading your book, it really made me realize that when my grandfather died, a lot of the magic, we felt like we lost a lot of the magic because how we celebrated Christmas was so magical. Mm. But it also inspired me because reading it is making me realize how easy it would be to recreate that magic. Mm. Um, so this book, I'm t- telling everyone, if you want if you want to like backtrack into your childhood and the magic of what Christmas is, this book does it for you. And there's something so fun about it because this is going to sound strange, but this book is so educative. Like I'm learning (laughs) so much about Christmas, like how, where Christmas came from the story of St. Nicholas. I had never heard the real story of St. Nicholas. (laughs) So it's so interesting to, to, because we always just figure Christmas is, Christmas because it's just how Christmas has always been but we I don't think a lot of people have really dove in into like where it actually came from and it's that it um, really is a microcosm of life I think so so I think if you kind of change the way you approach Christmas it it definitely has an impact on the way you generally approach things I think you know um and I I love that you it's a, that's a wonderful story that it connects you to childhood and I think also there are a lot of people that have an image of what Christmas should be or is for other people and it's just that's only something they've longed for and they've never had that um and that there's a kind of sadness attached to that um maybe it's because of things they've seen in the movies they've never had that emotional experience but there's something that happens around christmas time that you can feel in the air that you can't put your finger on um and i really hope that um the exercises in the book um and the stories of other people in the book help them find their version of that now because I, I don't I think the um the nostalgia is really important but mm-hmm. you can bring that into the present as well and and create that the feeling that you get from nostalgia with something that's going on now if you are just mindful about it yeah and actually nostalgia from like really magical experiences when we're when we're kids can bring such a wonderful feeling into our present moment. And I think this book is, again, another extension of contentment for me. And, you know, my mom, she, she was just here for a week. She came to see me and she started reading the book. And unfortunately, she had to leave. And I was like, oh, you, can't, you, you can't leave with that book. <laughs> I need <laughs> Christmas she gift. Christmas <laughs> gift, exactly. So I just, she just read the beginning of it. And she was like, oh, my God. She literally read maybe like um, one chapter. And just that one chapter shifted something within her and my mom is someone who she's always she's always like when Christmas arrives she wants this perfect Christmas this perfect experience and at the end you know we we try to create these perfect Christmases and I love how you go through the stats of like how much money is spent on Christmas and we think it's insane and all the money we spend all the gifts and it creates a lot of overactivity Mm. and all of that overactivity that overspending, that overeating, that overdoing, that over everything, um, 
keeps us from settling down and grounding ourselves. And it's, and I really think that it's in those slow grounded moments that we can then experience the magical, joyful feeling of Christmas in a way that, like you said, you know, when you get to New Year's, you're not exhausted and like overstuffed and, you know, in debt. Instead, you're starting the new year filled up. Mm. And, you know, this book is, it's such a perfect way for anyone to shift their experience of the holidays. Oh, I really hope so. I, I think that um, that time between Christmas and New Year is so precious. Um, yeah. For it. It's like some kind of fog descends over the whole world and you're just a little bit less yes. expected of everybody for a week. It's cr- I, don't, I don't know what happens, but it, you can feel it, can't you? And um, just yeah. making the most of that time and not going, we're just going to have a house full of people for the entire time with no break. Um, and we're just hosting and then it's quick New Year's yeah. Eve and then bang, we're back to work and into January. Actually taking even yeah. just a single day for yourself. Um, and there's lots of ideas in, in the book about how you can spend that day. But a really great way to spend it, of course, is reflecting on, firstly, the Christmas that you just had. Do you want to do that kind of thing next year? Be really specific about what worked well, what didn't, who yeah. brought really great energy, who was very difficult to be around how you might deal with that in another time, those kinds of things. And then reflecting on the year gone past and deciding you know, what to leave in this year and what to take to next year. And then look ahead to next year. Um, and not just, I mean, there's so many, you know, word of the year and let's do our big plans and stuff. But I think we're, and news resolutions and all this, but I think we're a lot of these kind of, it's January, what are you going to go for this year? Things completely miss is that, we're animals and this is a season of hibernation and yes. going inward and um, not shouting and shining brightly and you know that's leads up to the fairy lights <laughs> um, you know just it's like nourishment and rest and some gentle dreaming absolutely while you've got that quiet time think about what you'd like to bring to life in the the time that's coming um but to know that you don't have to launch into that on January the 1st. And actually spring is a brilliant time to bring that kind of launch energy for something else. Um, and yeah. if you can uh, like just acknowledge that, then January, which is a very difficult time for a lot of people, um, yeah. from a mental health perspective and all sorts of other um, health challenges with the weather and all these things, it's just a lot more gentle on you in every way. Um, mm. And it makes a huge difference if you, you do that, I think. Yeah, and that's such a good point because I think if there's one thing that we can all do more of is be more gentle on ourselves. Oh god, yeah. Um, so I think that that's anyways this this book is just so all of your books are just so fantastic and I'm so excited I found you somehow on a, your podcast, uh, you know, like just like your experience you know on the water on that boat that day, um that that perfect timing, like I said your books arrived at a, a really not just a perfect time in my life but they arrived at a critical time where I had to make some really massively important decisions for my health and my happiness and my, my well-being um, so thank you for being by my side with these wonderful books um, I'd like to know is there anything before we finish because I know we need to wrap up now um, is there anything you would like people to know 
anything really before we end about your books, your work, anything that you would like them to know about life in general? Um, well, firstly, thank you. Um, what wonderful things you've said all the way through this. And there, there's kind of no better honour, I think, than being able to be by someone's side when they're having a hard time. And I think books are one way, but there are so many ways these days that we could do that for other people. And to mm. be able to do that and call it work is amazing. Um, and so I think if I had a message for anyone, it's to understand where where you can do that in in your life. And it might be as a parent, as a friend, as a podcast host, as a writer of books, you know, it, as a teacher in a school, like, who knows? Whatever you do, there's a way you can do it, which is of service for people. Um, mm. And in the long run, I think that just that definitely connects to contentment in your work and that the successes and failures that they come and go, you know, um, and what's left underneath it is a solid foundation of knowing that what you're doing matters and that you're spending your precious time doing something um, that is helpful and making contribution. And um, if that connects to something that you love, you know, then you're enjoying your life as you go. (laughs) And why wouldn't you do that, you know? So I think to encourage people to just keep being curious about what fascinates them if they're not doing what they love um, and to follow that and know that it won't always make sense along the way. But but there is definitely a bigger puzzle being put together for you um, and with your effort as well. Um, and just to keep going and surround yourself with people and inspiration like this podcast um that reminds you of that because it's not the norm it's still not the norm and I hope one day it will be um Mm. but but doing the same thing that everybody else in society is doing is the norm still um and so it takes some courage I think to live life your way and live life creatively um but it's definitely worth it so yeah absolutely enjoy life as you go I love that yeah and then your life really does become a masterpiece. I think it's so beautiful. So. Yeah, and that doesn't mean that nothing ever goes wrong, but it, it, oh. that's part of the picture, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm so grateful to – so I, 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 I'm going to – this is – people are going to hear this in the, in the intro, but I do want to end by saying that I am so honored to have you on my 100th episode. So this is the 100th episode of the podcast um I literally was waiting and I wanted this to be the 100th episode because I knew it was going to be such a beautiful way to tie up the year with the podcast with a really nice deep conversation um and I'm going to put all of the links in the show notes uh, for where people can get your books where they can find you on social media and uh I can't wait for your next book I'm literally turning my thumbs waiting I can't (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much and thank you I mean it takes a huge amount of effort and energy and time to make a hundred podcast episodes that's just (laughs) phenomenal and you know you'll never know all the people that you've reached with that people listen and you won't have any idea that they've listened um yeah but it it all really matters and what an honor to be in your hundredth episode so thank you here's to the next hundred Oh, yes. Here's to the next hundred. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.